chapter 21, which we studied together today, Genesis 21, as we think about Abraham's promised son, Abraham's promised son, something that has become quite popular in social media culture uh, is recording people's reactions to big news or to some kind of performance or big event. Uh, Celebrities are sometimes asked during interviews to watch footage of themselves, maybe the first movie they appeared in or the first big musical performance that they gave to a live audience. And we get to see their reaction as they watch themselves all those years before. Or sometimes you see a a video recording of of a proposal or of the moment that a wife tells her husband that she's expecting a child. And you get to see the reaction of those who hear this big news or who are asked the question or uh, whatever it may be. We like to see how people react when the big moments come along. Well, Genesis 21, in, in some ways, you could sum it up by saying that it's all about how people react to this big moment in the life of Abraham. How they react to God fulfilling his promises. We've been working our way through the story of Abraham for a few months now. Uh, Maybe a lot has happened in your life since uh, we started our series. Maybe it's beginning to feel like we've been studying Abraham's life for a long time. Well, if it feels long for us, think about how long it actually was for Abraham as he waited for God to fulfill his promise of a son. Abraham was already 75 years old when God called him to go to the land of Canaan. He's now 100 years old, Genesis 21.5. A quarter of a century has passed in his life. 25 years ago for us was 1998, the signing of the, the Belfast Agreement. Arsenal won the double under their brand new manager, Arsene Wenger. Bewitched, we're about to hit number one in the charts with... Uh, it was a long time ago. Some of you remember those things. Maybe it doesn't seem like a long time ago. 25 years. And for 25 years, Abraham and Sarah have been waiting and wondering and trusting and yes, sometimes stumbling. But now at last, maybe the most crucial promise that God made has come to pass. They have a son. They have a son. And how everyone reacts to this, to the, to the arrival of this son, is important. Because Abraham is God's covenant partner. Abraham's household is God's household. Abraham's promised son is at the heart of the covenant. He will, if you like, bear the weight of the covenant going into a new generation. And so how people respond is so important. And in the same way, friends, today, how men and women and boys and girls respond to uh, God's promised son today, the Lord Jesus Christ, is even more important, as we'll consider through our, 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 our study today. As we're going to look at several reactions today to the arrival of Abraham's promised son. And the first reaction that we see today is a laugh of joy at the work of God. A laugh of joy at the work of God. And this is verses 1 to 7 of the chapter. Mums and dads, uncles and aunts, grannies and granddads, you've experienced what we read about here in verses 1 to 7, the arrival of a long-waited-for baby. 
Uh, Maybe some of the boys and girls here this morning can remember uh, when your little brother or sister was born. And even though you've had quite a few arguments and fights with them since then, you thought they were so cute when they were first born and you were cooing over them just like mum and dad were. And we enter into Abraham and Sarah's home here and we can picture the scene. It's big smiles. Sarah holds the baby. Abraham is standing proudly over her. It's a joyful day. But what is emphasized to us here, friends, at the beginning of chapter 21 is the faithfulness and the power of God in bringing this about. And and just notice how the text is going out of its way to emphasize that to us. Verse 1, the Lord visited Sarah as he had said. Remember what he said back in chapter 18, about this time next year you will have a son. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. The Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And then look at verse 2. Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. Look at the time of which God had spoken to him. It's like the Holy Spirit through the hand of Moses here. The writer is saying, look, 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 don't miss this. How is it that a hundred year old man and a 90 year old woman have a baby? It's through God. God did this. This isn't normal. And how it happened is through the power of God. And it emphasizes to us that it happened because of God. And it happened exactly at the time that God wanted it to happen. The book of Genesis, of course, began with God creating the whole universe out of nothing. Heard someone say recently, all God needs to do anything is nothing. He created the universe out of nothing. He simply spoke and everything came into being. Chaos became order. Light shone into darkness. Water separated from sky. And if God could do all of that, friends, he is certainly able to overrule the normal biological pattern for a 90-year-old woman to bear a child. And just look at Sarah's joyful reaction. It's, It's wonderful, isn't it? It's The most beautiful, tender moment we see in the life of Sarah. Verse 6. God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. She laughs. She laughs with joy. She's even perhaps laughing at herself here. And, And of course the irony is that the name Isaac means laughter. And you remember how Sarah and Abraham both reacted the first time God told them that they would have a son. They laughed. And it was a laugh perhaps of doubt. It was a laugh of amazement. We're too old. How could this possibly happen? But now cradling Isaac in their arms, they laugh at themselves. They're laughing. They say, look at us, the pair of us, grey hairs, wrinkled eyes, knobbly knees, and a little son in our arms. And they laugh with joy at the wonderful work of God. And every time they call out Isaac's name, every day for the rest of their lives, they'll be reminded that God gets the last laugh and that God is to be trusted and obeyed. And you know, friends, all of us who have been saved by God's grace, who who know God's love and forgiveness of sins, who have been blessed by the arrival in this world of God's Son, It's okay to laugh or to be joyful at least, to to be delighted, to 
to just stand back and take stock and give thanks for all that God has done for us. Maybe God has had the last laugh in your life. You didn't know him. You didn't love him. Maybe you said, I'll never believe in him. All that stuff about Jesus dying on the cross and heaven and hell and sin needing forgiven. I'll never believe that. And here you are today, worshipping the God you love and the Saviour who changed your heart and changed your life, the Lord Jesus. Just as Isaac was a long-promised son, the Lord Jesus Christ is the long-promised son, as Paul says in Galatians 4 verse 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son. Many, many promises made over the centuries about the coming of Jesus Christ. And at, the, at just the right time, just as it was with the arrival of Isaac, at just the right time, God sent his son. Isaac was born to a 90-year-old woman. Jesus was born just as impossibly to a virgin. Isaac carried the weight of God's promises. Jesus carried not only the weight of all God's promises, but also the weight of our sins when he went to the cross. Isaac embodied, as Sarah held him in her arms, he embodied so much of God's word and his plan at that time in history. Jesus is the word made flesh who dwelt among us. And in joy and gratitude, friends, we can smile and we can be joyful at the awesome, gracious, wonderful work of God through our long-promised Son, Jesus. Maybe you laugh as you look back on your life and the twists and turns it took at times, but God kept you and provided you, and in spite of your own foolishness, God blessed you, and whilst you've had hard days and sad days and painful days, you're still walking with him and still serving Christ. Perhaps today you're not laughing because it is a hard, painful time. There is uncertainty, there is pressure, there is frustration. And on those days, friends, which, of which, of course, Abraham and Sarah had many as well, you need to remind yourselves that God's promises will come to pass. Isaac was born, it says, at the time of which God had spoken. God will fulfill all his promises to you. At the time that he chooses. The promise of his presence. In death's dark valley. The promise of Christ's glorious return. When we're delivered out of what's left. Of the bondage and decay and danger of this world. The promise of the church's growth and victory. The promise of heaven. One day we will see. At God's appointed time. We will see all his promises fulfilled. And we will laugh with joy. And so that's the first reaction to God's work here in the birth of Isaac. We see uh, Sarah, a, a laugh of joy. The second reaction we see today is a laugh of mockery at the chosen son of God. We've seen a laugh of joy at the work of God. We see a laugh of mockery at the chosen son of God. And we see this in verses 8 to 13. Hands up if you've ever been to a weaning party. I would doubt very much that anybody here has been to such a party. We're, we have birthday parties. Child one in our house had hers last month. Child two's is coming up next month. But we're told here in verse 8 that Abraham made a great feast 
on the day Isaac was weaned. You might think, was that not a very strange thing to do, to have a feast on the day Isaac was weaned? Well, in that culture, the, the, child, the mother would feed the child for much longer than is typical for us. The child might have been two or three years old by the time they were weaned. And part of the reason for this was that in those days, in that time and place, infant mortality rates were higher. All kinds of things that we are largely spared from in our culture. And so if your child arrived at that age of two or three, it was something to celebrate and give thanks for. And so Abraham's whole household is celebrating uh, Isaac on maybe his second or third birthday. But as Sarah looks around the room at this great day of feasting and celebration, she sees something that wipes the smile off her face immediately. If you look at verse 9, Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. Some of your translations will have the word mocking there instead of laughing. And that's because the way this word is used in the original language strongly implies that this was not an innocent laugh from Ishmael. uh, Who of course is Hagar's son. He's hardly ever named here but we know of course it is Ishmael. This was a mocking laugh from Ishmael. Ishmael was being harsh and cruel about his little toddler half-brother, Isaac. In fact, the Apostle Paul confirms for us, we read it earlier in in Galatians 4.29, Paul says that Ishmael persecuted Isaac. Paul is saying that Ishmael was completely opposed to Isaac. He didn't lay a hand on him physically, of course, uh, but he, he mocked him. Ishmael by this time is at least 15 if not 16 or 17 years old. He's, he's well on his way to manhood. And rather than accept the status quo that God has made covenant promises that uh, will run through the line of his half-brother Isaac. Ishmael, uh, and, and, and rather than accept as well that Ishmael can have a share of that. That Ishmael is, is welcome to put his faith in the God of Abraham to follow him, to believe in him, and that there will be a measure of blessing for him as well. Ishmael is entirely opposed to the covenant promises and the covenant son of God. He mocks him. We don't know exactly what he said or did. Maybe he was joking with some of the younger servants uh, about how silly his old dad looked at the age of 102 or 103 holding a little toddler Maybe he was just making fun of Isaac in some, in some other way. Whatever it was, friends, Ishmael's laughter is the laughter of mockery and rejection of the son of promise. And as much as Sarah was likely acting out of a sort of a fierce, protective maternal instinct, when she told the Abraham in verse 10 to cast out Hagar and Ishmael, God actually confirms to Abraham that that is what is to happen next because of Ishmael's opposition to Isaac. And verse 11 tells us that this whole situation was very displeasing to Abraham. The word's very strong there. He was maybe angry. He was upset at Sarah's demand that Hagar and Ishmael be cast out of the household. Because of course, despite everything, Abraham does love Ishmael. Ishmael was his firstborn You might remember at one point, Abraham even said to God, oh, that Ishmael could be my heir. He he was tired of waiting for for a legitimate son to come along. 
But ultimately we have to remember that all of this was only the case because of that sinful failure on Abraham's part when he agreed to that foolish suggestion all those years ago to, uh, to take up with Hagar. Ralph Davis says, Sometimes when God leads us out of the circumstances we have wrongly arranged, there is no painless, ouchless route. And so we're reminded here of the consequences of Abraham's sin in the heartbreak that he feels. But more than that, friends, we see that Ishmael is being sent away. It warns us not to mock God's chosen son. If that's going to be Ishmael's attitude to the chosen son in Abraham's day, he has to go. And maybe you today are mocking the chosen son of God. Not Isaac, of course, but the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you opposed to him? You don't want him. You don't think you need him as your saviour, your shepherd, your king. You look at the story of the Bible, the claims of Christians, and, and you laugh in mockery. You think it's a joke. A baby born in a cow shed to a virgin. Come on. Rose again after three days. Walked on water. Heaven and hell. Last judgment still to come. How old fashioned is all of that? That's the attitude of many people in our world. Many of the movers and shakers who would be listened to in our, in our culture, in our celebrity culture. They laugh in mockery. And yet, like Ishmael, you know deep down that these things are true. That's the thing about Ishmael's mockery. He knew underneath it all what the case was with Isaac. This was his father's legitimate heir. He was the chosen covenant son. And likewise today, those who mock the Lord Jesus Christ, eternity is on their hearts. They are image bearers of God. The very created world around them speaks to them of the existence of God. And they know that they need to make a decision. Perhaps you here today in this building or listening in online, you need to make a decision. Will you give your allegiance to King Jesus? Will you acknowledge him as the long-promised Son of God, the one who carries with him God's grace, the wonderful offer of life and land and love and blessing, the only way for you to be forgiven of your sin? Or will you stand before him at the judgment and realize that it's too late to do that? Little Isaac, even at two or three years old, didn't look like much to Ishmael at this special party. Little puny toddler. Maybe until now the Lord Jesus hasn't looked like much to you. Look again. Listen to him calling you. Do as Sam too urges you. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son. That's the, the kiss of allegiance on his hand. Lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And so we see a laugh of joy at the, at the work of God. We see a laugh of mockery at the chosen son of God. And thirdly, and this isn't so much a reaction I suppose. But thirdly we notice today a cry of despair heard by God. A cry of despair heard by God. Verse 14 describes what must have been an extremely sad, uncomfortable, maybe one of the real low points in Abraham's life as he has to 
pack up his eldest son and send him away with his mother. And again, friends, we see here the heartbreak and the awful decisions faced sometimes because of past sin. And that's what Abraham's having to deal with here. And verse 14, though, says that Hagar, having been packed up by Abraham and sent off with Ishmael, it says she wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba, which means that, of course, she very quickly became lost. She was unsure where to go. And then we have this heartbreaking scene where Hagar, who by now is deeply distressed, she's at her wit's end, she's run out of food and water, she assumes that she and her son are going to die. The word in verse 15, when it says that she put him under the bush, it could actually be translated, she dumped him or she discarded him. It's a word used elsewhere in scripture for disposing of dead bodies. And you see, Hagar here is just emotionally gone. She's she just thinks she just shoves Ishmael down. She thinks he's going to die. I'm going to die. Uh, we're done for. The end of verse 16 says she simply lifted up her voice and wept. She is in total despair. But then we read in verse 17, God heard the voice of the boy and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Fear not. For God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. You remember back in chapter 16, Hagar ran away from Abraham and Sarah. There was the whole fallout from uh, the incident there. And, and God called her. God came to her and listened to her as she was crying and told her to go back to, to her master. And once again here, God sees her in her distress. God comes calling to Hagar. And we're told it's very interesting as well. It says that he heard the voice of the boy. And again, Ishmael is, is not actually explicitly named at all in this passage. But back in chapter 16, God had told Hagar to name the boy Ishmael. And Ishmael means God hears. And so there's a whole play on words here in the original language. God heard the voice of the boy. God heard Ishmael. And yes, Sarah was correct that Isaac is the chosen son of God, that the covenant blessings are going to be carried through Isaac, uh, that the slave and her son are only here because of Abraham and Sarah's mistakes. That's all true. But nonetheless, friends, here we see the, the pity of God on needy people. God had made promises about Ishmael to Abraham. He wasn't the chosen covenant son but he would still enjoy some blessings. He was going to be made into a great nation. And again, because of God's covenant faithfulness, he shows compassion, even to this boy who had mocked the son of promise. Just look at verse 19. Then God opened her eyes, the eyes of Hagar, and she saw a well of water. Hagar has been in such a state emotionally that she hasn't even seen that there is actually a well nearby. Uh, and so God opens her eyes and leads her to it. Ishmael never did fully accept or embrace God's covenant promises, friends. He, he never fully submitted to Isaac. And yet we see here God showing him and his mother a measure of grace nonetheless. And God has done the same thing to our whole world. Psalm 145 says, God has compassion on all that he has made. 
Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5.45, says, God makes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends his rain on the just and the unjust. It's not just the Christian farmers that are going to be able to go out and, uh, and take in the silage over these weeks. It's not just the Christian farmers that take in a harvest. It's not just Christian workers who get promotions and get to live in relative peace here in Northern Ireland. God gives many good gifts to everyone on this earth, whether they acknowledge him or not. And here he shows pity to Ishmael, even though Ishmael had mocked the promised son and turned his back on the covenant. Now, I'm not saying that Ishmael after this had a complete change of heart and became a believer, as we would say, and began worshipping God and trusting in the covenant promises of his father's God. He didn't do that. He went his own way. The text describes how he established himself far away from Abraham and in many ways turned his back on the covenant promises. Did his own thing. But the episode shows us nonetheless, friends, the pity of God in hearing the cry, even of those who knew something about him, who have had some dealings with him, who have been impacted in some way by his covenant promises. And perhaps you need to do what Ishmael didn't ever do. Perhaps you need to finally commit to him fully. Have you still not confessed your sin, committed your life to him, put your trust in him? Look at what God has given to you. Perhaps good health, as I say, able to live in a a place of relative peace and safety. Has he perhaps given you Christian parents or grandparents? Has he sent you preachers to declare the gospel to you? Has he given you more than one opportunity to hear the gospel? Multiple opportunities to hear the gospel. And have you still not responded in faith? God is gracious. He hears the cries of those who call to him. But his patience will come to an end someday. How much longer will you keep taking all God's blessings without responding to his warnings. If today, like Hagar and Ishmael, you hear God's voice, do not harden your heart. So a laugh of joy at the work of God, a laugh of mockery at the chosen Son of God, a cry of despair heard by God, and fourthly and finally today, a shout of praise to the glory of God. A shout of praise to the glory of God. Genesis 21 starts on such a high with Isaac's birth. And you might think that really the rest of the chapter sort of almost on first reading seems to get less and less important as it goes on. It it finishes with this meeting between Abraham and Abimelech. And you remember we saw last week how uh, when Abraham traveled into Abimelech's land, this was one of the occasions where Abraham lied about Sarah, claimed that Sarah was his sister. And we saw all of that last week with Abimelech in chapter 20. But as we, as we read this passage between Abraham and Abimelech here in chapter 21, you might be thinking, why does this story matter? Why is it here in our Bibles? Well, I think if we look closely, we actually do see another response, another reaction to the arrival of Isaac and the actions here of Abimelech. Look carefully at what Abimelech says to Abraham in verse 22. God is with you in all that you do. So Abimelech has seen what God did for Abraham when, when Abraham made the blunder of 
pretty much putting Sarah into Abimelech's arms almost. Although, of course, nothing ever literally physically happened between them. But Abimelech had seen how God managed that situation. And now he sees that Abraham, at the age of 100, has a son. And so he says, God is with you in all that you do. I can see the power of your God. I can see the examples of of your God looking after you and providing for you. And so he wants to uh, make Abraham swear to him that he will deal graciously and kindly with Abimelech. Abimelech wants to make a covenant with Abraham. And of course, as, as I said way back weeks ago, it was very common for people in all different walks of life to make a covenant together. It wasn't just God who made a covenant with Abraham. Lots of people made covenants. And Abimelech wants to make a covenant with Abraham. He wants them to be allies. He wants them to live together in peace. He sees the blessings of God on Abraham's life. And perhaps he's thinking to himself, it's better for me to be with Abraham than against him. So Abimelech and Abraham, they discuss terms and they come to an agreement. Verse 32 says they made a covenant at Beersheba. And before they sign off on that covenant, Abraham has this whole complaint about a well that he lodges with Abimelech. And the reason they haggle over the well, the reason Abraham wants to be very clear about who owns this well is because Abimelech here is offering him land. And there's no point in Abraham being able to lay claim to the land if he can't also lay claim to the water supply of the land. Uh, And so uh, what Abraham is doing here is he's making absolutely clear that this well belongs to him as well as the land that Abimelech has offered him. And so here's another reaction to the work of God, friends, and the arrival of Abraham's promised son, And again, we don't know uh, if Abimelech became a believer as such. We we don't see him worshipping God. But we do see him recognising the hand of God in the life of Abraham. And so we should hope and pray that our colleagues and our neighbours and our family members would be able to say the same about us. God is with you in all that you do. And that they would want to know more about the blessings of God for their own lives. But there's one more reaction to God's promised son to think about. And it's the reaction of Abraham himself. This man has been walking with God for more than 25 years. At the age of 100, he's finally got his little son born. And already weaned and growing up quickly. And, notice this, he has just gained another little portion of land. Of the vast promised land from Abimelech. How does Abraham respond to all that God has been doing? Look at verse 33. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord. He worshipped God, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. It's a wonderful end of this passage. Abraham reflects on all that God has done. And he marks his sojournings once more with worship, thanksgiving, praise of the everlasting God. And it's a wonderful end of the passage, friends, because not only does it show us Abraham responding with worship, which is the right response to everything God does for us. But it throws up this dramatic contrast between the everlasting God and Abraham, the sojourner. 
That word sojourner uh, reminds us that Abraham spends his days wandering around from place to place. Boys and girls, the word sojourner, it really just means traveller. Someone who travels around. And it's a word too, friends, that reminds us that in between those big days for Abraham, the days when God and two angels would come to his tent for a meal, or the day when Isaac was finally born into his arms, in between those very few extraordinary days, Abraham lived out many, many ordinary days. A sojourner in this world. And that's the pattern of our lives as well. You and I will have far more days of washing dishes and cutting grass and doing your weekly grocery shop and scrubbing your kitchen floors than days of big excitement and awesome Instagrammable moments and everything being easy and wonderful in our lives. But here's the point. Do we punctuate all our ordinary days with worship of our extraordinary God? As you reflect on your sojourning, as you reflect on all that God has done and is doing for you, does it prompt you to worship? Does it prompt you to praise yourself, family worship, corporate worship as we meet together here today? Do you punctuate your ordinary days with worship of your extraordinary God? At last, Abraham has his son. And even though he still doesn't own all the land, he owns a well, he owns a little piece of land, and he's at peace with his neighbours. It's another little indication to him from God that God is going to keep all the other promises that he still has to keep. And you see, God doesn't usually give us everything all at once. He gives us what we need for now and calls us to step out in faith for what we need tomorrow. What's your reaction to this wonderful, everlasting, promise-making God? How do you respond to what he has offered to you in Jesus Christ? The one who said to another woman at another well many years later, I can give you living water. How do you respond to the one who's not only a son of Abraham, but is the son of God? Have you mocked him like Ishmael? Or do you worship him like Abraham? Amen.